When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Connor Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube. Like button, subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A M P I R E. It's always much appreciated. And while you're there, you can check out Between the Hashes. That's my son Matthew's quick but informative look at the big college football games of the weekend. Just look for that every Friday. You can also check out, now that the hockey season's underway, the All's Caps podcast. And that's with Carl Alsner, former Washington Capitol, and Steve Wino, the national AP hockey writer. That's All's Caps, ALZ Caps. Check it out. Today, I'm joined by ESPN Stephen Holder, who covers the Indianapolis Colts. Going to give take a little a look at the Colts, starting quarterback Sam Ellinger, but also what went wrong with Carson Wentz there. Were there other teams involved in a possible trade for Wentz? And what was going on with Jim Irsay's comments about Washington owner Dan Snyder? Why does he think that Irsay made those comments? We're going to look into all that. And listen, every time Washington wins, these games become a little bit bigger because if you win, you get you inch your way back into a certain spot. So you need to learn about the opposition. This is a Colts team that has had some issues, very similar to what's been going on in Washington with the, with the teams in general. It's kind of amazing. And Stephen and I talk about all that. But again, give give me a minute, and we'll get to that first. I'm going to kind of fill you in on some other things that happen out. Washington's uh, practice today at the commander's facility. <clears throat> Number one, Chase Young did not practice today. So you probably already knew that by now, but they decided to they want to have him see Dr. Andrews one more time. So now it looks like it'll be next week. Um, I don't think there was any sort of, there was, my understanding is there's no sort of setback. I think they're being really, really cautious with this one. And just for people to know, like the way they measure, they can measure the strength in in the um, knee and compared to they have the baseline from where it was before he was hurt. And they have the, they have it, they'll compare it to his other knee to make sure it's right where it needs to be. So that way one leg isn't being where they're not favoring one leg over the other, et cetera. So they measure that kind of stuff. So that's, you know, I don't know how much that's going into what's going in now, but I do know my point is they, they use, they have certain metrics and baselines that they, they hit and can measure against, to determine where he need, where he is. So, anyways, but the key is they're not rushing him back. And there you go. So I would say you see that he'll see the doctor again. If all goes well, practice next week. There you go. Well, today it was a lot about Taylor Heineke and Terry McLaurin. McLaurin is going back to his hometown of Indianapolis, where he grew up and played football. And it's funny because he's had a hell of a journey since then. I mean, here's a guy that was not offered a scholarship right away to Ohio State, had to go prove that he was worthy of one. Gets drafted in the third round, becomes one of the highest paid receivers in the game. And now he's going back to play in his hometown. Still a big, big, big dude there. 
He's got 70, he said he's going to have about 70 family and friends just that he, that who bought tickets for this game. He bought most of those tickets. He said that's, it's, this was the year to happen. He goes, after what happened this summer, he could afford this one. So still a big check. I don't know how many times they'll do that, but he's doing it this time because there are a lot of people that he's the kind of guy who wants to pay back to people who meant something to him. And this is one way that he feels he can do that. And so he, so he will do that. And he grew up a huge Colts fan. They would go to every game up until he was probably in high school. And they sat in section, I think it was 540, pretty good seats. But he was a huge fan. And he was a big-time fan of former Colts receiver Marvin Harrison. And they, they both kind of have this understated game. And I think there, there are some similarities in terms of, of that. And he said he did meet Harrison. It's one of the few. I think he said it's the only – it made it sound like there would be two people he was starstruck by. One of them is Harrison. Not sure the other. So, but the one was definitely Harrison. And the funny thing is Marvin Harrison's kid is playing at Ohio State. So Terry got to know him going there and, and getting to know him now and et cetera. But anyway, so it's a big deal for him. And he talked more about how, um, what it means for him to, for McLaurin to throw, to trust him as much as he does. Anyway, then there was McLaurin and, excuse me, on Heineke. And this, this whole story with Heineke remains the, the every guy type um, demeanor that he has and the way, you know, he just kind of walks through the locker room and he's just, he's a regular dude in there. And I think guys really appreciate that. And I was talking to a few players about that today and talking to one about how, if you just watch the film, just the coach's film, do you feel like, can you get the same sense of him as if you're there in the huddle on the field with him, on the sidelines with him in the stadium with him? where you can feel a different sort of energy versus just watching a robotic breakdown of a guy where you don't, you can see the, you can see the strengths and the weaknesses, but do you feel the impact of a guy? And that's, you know, that's one of the things where players will say he's got this it factor. And someone told me when I asked him about that, describing that kind of scenario, coaches film their first to be on the field. He goes, that's the it factor. You know, you don't know it until you're there. And it's like, he's got it. Now it doesn't mean that he's the greatest quarterback, it just means that's what draws, as one other player told me, that's one of the things that attracts them to Heineke is that. And as Charles Leno said, what do he say? It's not pretty, it's gritty. And that's that's very true. Because there are going to be times you're going to, after a game, it's like, that was horrible. But then there are other times where you win a game like they did the other day, and it's like, well, why is that? And they they credited his grit as a big reason for that. And and I like I said, I think – it doesn't mean guys think he's the greatest player in the world. I think they understand the situation. They understand. And even, you know, Tressway was saying like T Taylor knows that Carson's a starter, but the, but guys do like him and they do like playing with him. And I think they enjoy watching him out on the field. So there you go. The other thing in the locker room today, that was kind of fun. And it's why it's important for us to be in a locker room to get to know guys. So at the end of the locker room, it's not always just going up to guys and just like, why are you guys great? Why are you guys bad? Why is this? It's getting to know them. So we had a conversation with Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. And for 10 minutes, it was about best chicken places, Chick-fil-A, Popeyes. You know, then they started talking about Raising Cane's and biscuits from, you know, um, Bojangles, which I love the biscuits from Bojangles. Good. But so we were talking about that. We we're talking about some places in Alabama because that's where Brian Robinson is from. Then the, but the big thing for those two was Waffle House. And they bemoan the fact that there are no Waffle Houses 
in Northern Virginia, or especially in Ashburn. So, and I, you know, there's some that are about 45 minutes away. They both agreed you're not, they're not driving more than five minutes to go to one, but they both wish they had them. So, but it, it's, it's just a little exchange, but it gets the guys comfortable with us and it gets us to know them in a different way. That's the value. Those are the little conversations. There's a nothing kind of conversations, but it's how you develop relationships. And it's why it's important that we are back in there this year. And I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed being back in a locker room, getting to know guys, getting to talk to guys about various things, because most of my conversations are really not about football anymore. They're, they, they, you have them when you need them, but you're really just trying to get to know players after not being in the locker room for two years. So there you go. The last thing is Sam Cosme. He was bet he was practiced full today. By the way, Logan Thomas was limited in practice. Jahan Dotson was not out there. We did not see him on the practice field. Um, and Cole Holcomb has a foot issue, so he wasn't out there either. Sadiq Charles was not out there. He was sick. Uh, Logan Thomas did go again, was limited. And if I had to guess, I think he's going to play. That's a guess. And I, I'd heard good things about Dotson, but let's see how that one progresses. Because at this time last week, he was going to play on Sunday, but he didn't. So let's see how that progresses. I'm not going to speculate right now because I don't know. But I know with Cosme, Cosme was a full participant in practice, but he's got the club on his left hand. The one thing he said that it does do is it forces him to use his feet more because he can't rely on grabbing a guy. He's got to have perfect positioning. That means perfect footwork or really, really good footwork in order to put himself in the best position. The other thing is with that club, he still has a hard time grabbing. He still can't grab. So when you're a tackler, you've got to grab inside those pads. And sometimes it's it's hard if you can't do it. So until he can do that, I think the other thing is that he's not sure when that club is coming off. And part of it is he's got to be really careful with that injury because it could, if it, it's, it's, if he's not careful, it could get a lot worse. So they've got to make sure that he can grab and play with it. Um, but again, one of the benefits he said is that it has improved his footwork. So there you go. Anyway, that's it for me. Now, let's get to my conversation with ESPN's Stephen Holder. By the way, you can follow him on Twitter at Holder Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. There you go. And again, we dive into all the Carson Wentz stuff. I asked him, were other teams interested in trading for him? He'll give you his answer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Steven, and before we came on here, you said it, and we're going to go there because these teams, you and I cover teams that have a lot in common. And it's funny because I, you know, there was a stat on Frank Reich and how many quarterbacks he's had over since he's been there. I'm like, well, Ron Rivera's had seven now starting quarterbacks in his. I think it's the same for Reich, right? Seven and since it he's is. been there. Yeah, seven so, starting quarterbacks. So instead of Wentz versus Ryan, we're getting Ellinger versus Taylor Heineke. So first of all, What's let's fill let's fill us in on on Sam Ellinger and you wrote a story on the hows and whys of um, the whole Ryan situation that's up on ESPN.com. But fill us in on Ellinger. Why are they turning to him? Well, 
the first thing is that Matt Ryan's injury opened the door to this. That's the first thing. And and I, I know what they're saying, but it is hard to envision that they do this without Ryan suffering that shoulder injury, which, by the way, is very real. I saw him in the locker room after the game, and you could tell like he's not right. He, he was in a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, very obvious. So let's just get that out there. I, I, I guess we'll never know, but I, I think it's harder to envision it happening without the injury opening the door. So now we're here. Sam Ellinger is a really interesting player. He, it, it, you know, we don't have anything to base it on from the regular season because yeah. he's, he's really only taken, I believe, 18 snaps, most of which were taking a knee, um, running a read option, and fourth down. So he's not really played any extensive snaps that you can draw anything from. But his preseason and training camp experience is enough to at least demonstrate that that there's something there he is very athletic he has uh, he's a smart runner he he has a good feel for the game his his throwing and his accuracy has actually greatly improved since he's gotten to the NFL because if you watched him in college and even his rookie year in the preseason wasn't very impressive and I just didn't think he had an NFL caliber arm he to his credit has worked with Tom House the throwing guru of the past year or so and I saw a really clear difference in the preseason and in training camp is it enough I don't know and he certainly doesn't have any experience but but it at least puts him in the conversation to be a viable NFL quarterback and so the Colts here they got to lean into this his running ability his his ability to throw on the run extend plays it may not be perfect okay and it may look a little sandlot at times but that's somewhat their advantage this week so we'll see and you kind of pretty much just described Taylor Heineke as well (laughs) and he too worked on his arm strength and the problem is if you can't step into the throws the arm strength that you know then it's like the old the old arm shows up you know because like I know with house and all those guys you got to get your hips into it you got to get the weight transfer and all that if you can't step into it, it's out the window. But he did, Heineke does provide a spark here. Can can Ellinger, because of what you just said, and because they've had been so – they have not been a good offense, can he provide that kind of a spark for them? I think where he has a chance to be a spark, at least initially, until defenses adjust, where he has a chance to be the spark is one of their biggest issues right now has been just the offensive line just not holding up. So – when you have an immobile quarterback like Matt Ryan and frankly, Nick Foles too, who's on the roster and they're bypassing Nick Foles. If you played Nick Foles, you'd have the same issue behind the current offensive line. They just can't hold up. So where Sam Ellinger gives you a potential shot in the arm is he can maybe evade some of the pass rush that Matt Ryan just can't. And, and I think after weeks after week, after week of being hit, it really took a toll, I think on on Matt Ryan, not just the shoulder in itself, but just, I think, mentally as well. You know, quarterbacks, I, there's a there's sort of a psychological effect to all of that, and I think it speeds you up. It impacts your accuracy, all of those things. I mean, if you've been watching football for a while, you, you can see it, right? So that was happening to Matt Ryan. Now, Sam Ellinger is better equipped to deal with that. So that's what they have to kind of – hang their hat on, and, and we'll see how far it can take him. But I think that has a potential to be a shot in the arm. Everything you said is exactly what I said about my <laughs> last week. 
everything. So anybody listening is like, wait a minute, will you stop us, stop us if you've heard this one before. So <laughs> it's amazing how some of the, because like you go from an immobile quarterback behind a line that's not protecting them and you have a run game that's not working, but you needed to get it working, et cetera. So like there's all that. And then I guess the other part is how much of a factor was Ursay in this decision? Yeah, but before I go on, maybe we're just trying to talk ourselves into this stuff, right? I, I think <laughs> so. Maybe. maybe. So I, I do think Ursay, it's pretty clear, in fact, that, that Jim Ursay, their owner, was a big uh, a, a big variable here. Uh, there's been a lot of Ursay talk, I guess, among Washington fans lately. Yeah, we'll get so, to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, uh, very happy to talk about that. That's It was pretty interesting. Anyway, he clearly has it played a role in this. And Jim Mercer kind of has this reputation for being outspoken, you know, obviously. <laughs> but I will say in his defense, he generally lets his people operate, you know, unfettered. And, you know, when it comes to football matters, he really doesn't interfere that much. He wants to stay you know, updated on what's happening and and get the explanations. He, he wants to hear it all. He is a football guy. He was once the GM of the team many years ago. So his football knowledge is is very legitimate, but he doesn't tend to influence decisions. I don't think that's the case here. And and that's because a couple of things, in my estimation, uh, this team has kind of been floundering when it comes to quarterback for a long time. And at some point, that gets tired. I think we're at that point. We probably were at that point a long time ago, frankly. <laughs> and then the other thing is, I think he understands, even though they're three, three and one right now, which is a very, you know, viable position to be in in the AFC, which is kind of watered down right now. He, he understands that you know the fan base is restless, and there's a business component to this. You know, you've got ten games to go. Uh, people are not very optimistic about you know how the team could come out of this. Their three, three, and one record, frankly, has come in spite of their offense, not because of it. So, so I think in the long term, uh, you know, you you worry about you know whether the lack of offense could impact uh, fan interest. The other component, I should say, one other one is we haven't seen Sam Ellinger in this kind of scenario. We've always seen him in, in the preseason, and so this is a team that is clearly going to have to make some quarterback decisions. In the very near future, is he going to be the guy? I mean, history says no. Okay, a six-round pick is probably not going to be the guy. But they probably at least need to know. And so this gives them at least that opportunity. Have they even, like, when you hear talk to people, like, for example, Heineke, what I always heard would be high-end backup, low-end starter. That, they felt, was his ceiling. Do you ever have you got a sense about them with Ellinger about even before this what they felt he would project to? Yeah, my sense is that, and and some people have even stated this outright to me. My sense is that they viewed him as a backup and possibly a very good long term backup. You know, I, and I I'm not saying this because he went to Texas, but he puts me in the mind of Colt McCoy. I think they have very similar games. And I see the, the, the Heineke comparisons, too. I think that's accurate. Uh, so, and I think, you know, Colt McCoy is a very viable backup quarterback, you know, for a long time in the NFL. When he became a starter, it was a right. little hit and miss, right? So, but I think that's that's ideally what you want in a backup. A guy who's smart, who can play, you know, at the drop of a hat, if called upon, 
who has leadership capacity. He has all that, talking about Sam Ellinger. So that makes him an ideal backup, which in today's game, that's a critical spot, right? I mean, I think if you look at what the Cowboys have been able to do, right? You know, just having a, a quarterback who didn't have to lead the way, but someone who could keep the team afloat. So there's value in that. And I think they saw that as you know, pretty good value for Sam Ellinger. And if he became more than that, great. But I don't think they were projecting it necessarily. But we'll see. Do you think how much do you think this then changes? Because they you you wrote a story about this, I think, a week or two ago about them becoming maybe a more pass heavy team. They have Jonathan Taylor. Now and you do have some young receivers. You got a young receiver core that's interesting. But do you think this goes back to more of a Jonathan Taylor show? Well, yeah, I think that story really becomes invalidated now because this changes everything. Right. So the and and honestly, the the thinking there wasn't like, oh, Matt Ryan's so good, we have to throw the ball. It was it was two things. Number one, they they aren't generating the kind of rushing offense they have in the past, which is mystifying, but but it is what it is. So they haven't been able to do that partly because of the offensive line. The other thing is you know, they have probably relied too much on the running game the last couple of years and and didn't have enough explosiveness in their offense. And they have been struggling and wrestling with that. So Frank Reich has talked about needing to have more big passing plays, for example. So anyhow, here we are now. That kind of goes out the window because now you just kind of have to just just kind of have to wing it a little bit, you know, and, and figure out what you're going to be. We don't know. I actually do think their running game could be positively affected potentially by this. On the one hand, you know, I worry about defenses crowding the line of scrimmage and forcing Ellinger to throw the ball, which negatively affects your running game. On the other hand, because he can get to the perimeter and do some things on the move, even as a thrower or passer, maybe that spreads you out a little bit. So it depends on how they attack it. And and we'll see. They have to be creative and they have to be very precise. But I I think there are ways, there are scenarios where they can kind of get their running game going, you know, by making this move. Is it just the O-line that's struggling with the run game? Is that the big problem? It it has been. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, he's been out a couple of weeks, just came back uh, this past game. But prior to to his ankle injury, uh, he had been getting uh, hit behind the line of scrimmage quite a bit. I mean, we looked at his numbers for um, time till contact or I forget the exact term of the stat, but, you know, basically yards before contact, I should say. And it was the lowest of his career. You know, it, it wasn't good at all. And so while he is very good at at running through contact, uh, look, if you're getting hit in the backfield, that's just a game changer. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and even he is as great as he is, just hasn't been able to overcome it. I'll say this. He did have a few more lanes last Sunday and he looked better as well too. So, so maybe, maybe he's turning the corner. We'll see. A couple more topics. Start with Carson Wentz. Did not, you know, as we endured the Wentz experience in the, in the six games he played. So, any surprise at what transpired? And not it's it's not to blame. Just like in, in Indianapolis, you can't like it wasn't all Wentz's fault, but some things magnify the flaws. So any any surprise by what went on here so far with Carson Wentz? No, I, I think with Carson, the the thing that you 
you just have to understand going in is that the range of of outcomes is going to run the gamut. <laughs> you know, it's going to have a lot of highs. It's going to have a lot of lows. And sometimes they're in the same game. And that's what's so mystifying about him is that, you know, you see sometimes, you know, plays that are just flat out highlights. And you're like, man, that's the guy I remember, right. you know, and, and you saw it in the, in the yeah. NFC East. You've been seeing it for a long time. And, and then there are also plays where you're like, okay, that's why he is where he is. And, and I don't know how you reconcile that, you know, it, it's just a really hard thing uh, to, to really make sense of. And, and I think sometimes, you know, what, what coaches really want ideally from their quarterback is, well, sir, they want dynamic play, of course. Sure. But but failing that, uh, they want you know consistent play, yeah. predictable outcomes, right? And Carson's highs and lows, you're never getting you know you're never getting a static result there, and, and that's what's been, I think, tough for fans of both the the Colts and the Commanders, you know, to deal with with Carson. But you know, look, he it wasn't all his fault. You are correct. I I think that for the Colts. Um, Despite what Jamerse said, I'll tell you from the organization's standpoint, everybody else, the the book on or their viewpoint, I guess, on Carson Wentz was, look, they didn't hate the guy. They didn't blame it all on him, per se. I think they just realized that, you know, for their quarterback issue, he wasn't going to be the answer in the long term. So they decided to turn the page. Matt Ryan's not the answer either, but that's a totally separate matter. I think they realized he wasn't the guy. They decided to move on. Why do you, why, and it may be obvious why, but why do you think they decided that? Just, and I would say this here the hard part that I've had here is that they built an offensive line that struggles to protect up the middle. He's a guy who needs that protection up the middle. So it was, yeah. it's, it's a bad mix. But, anyways, why do you think they decided that so fast? Yeah, I, I think that there were a couple of things. Number one, they were, it, it, particularly in, in critical moments of games when they needed the quarterback to come through. And, you know, there's just those there's those two or three times a game yeah. where your quarterback just has to do it on his own or just make make a play. And the good ones do it, and the others or you know, the sort of mediocre ones don't. And consistently, Carson had difficulty in those moments. You know, and I can think of, you know, some of the worst plays you saw last year, and and they're highlights too. But but some of the plays that you know kind of get replayed, the left-handed interception and, and such, right? Okay, they're bad plays, but worse off, they came at really critical moments, right. and that was something I think that that just really stuck with the Colts, you know. And and I remember their GM Chris Ballard saying, you know, at the end of the season, this is a little bit separate issue, but you know that he had that infamous quote he said you know Carson needs to make the layups yeah and what he's talking about is Carson check it down <laughs> you know don't throw into double coverage you know and I, I think you know I could probably give the same advice to Matt Ryan right now in some regard <laughs> so I'm not saying they fixed it <laughs> all I'm saying is you know we're talking about Carson so this is what happened and and I just think you know the other thing about Carson and I, I hesitate to 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 say this because sometimes it gets misunderstood, but I also think that he's not a natural dynamic leader. Right. Now that is not a character flaw in some way, right. right? And I think when you say it, people kind of want to interpret it that way. It's right. not. It's just who he is. Right. Now, 
it doesn't mean he can't lead. It doesn't mean people don't like him. Right. I just think that this is a team that, you know, over the last couple of years, they have had Philip Rivers as their quarterback, you know, Jacoby Brissett, who has had ups and downs as a player, but as a leader is off the charts. Right. right. Andrew Luck, same thing. And so, and Carson isn't, he's not in that, that sort of profile. And, and I think that was something that they kind of wished they had more of last year. So there's not one reason, honestly. It's a it's a number of things, and they just decided to turn the page. And listen, they did it before they had any inkling that they could get Matt Ryan. So it, it was truly not even about Matt Ryan. They, they independently uh, made that decision uh, before Matt Ryan became available. How many teams do you think were calling about Carson? I don't think a ton. I really don't. Is it more In than fact, one? I, I'm not so sure there was more than one. Okay. <laughs> and so, right, I know where, what you're getting at. Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious. They got like, pretty good value. They got really good value. And, they got really good value. You know, this team can move on after a year because financially, but you're still giving up as two and a three for that one year and maybe, you know, not not maybe only half a year. Who knows how many more what happens the rest of the year. But that's what I'm just curious, like, because, you know, usually here, like, well, there are several other teams who are bidding against there, and it, but it just seemed like it got to a place pretty fast. So I, that, I think I, I would have to agree with that. I've never heard, you know, any specifics on Team X also, you know, being interested in Carson Wentz or, or talking to the Colts about a deal. Now, the backdrop is obviously there was a lot of quarterback movement, and I think that was – Certainly, something that Ron took into account. There's no question. De- yeah. They definitely did, and I know for a fact that they didn't want to be left at the altar because they had got they had swung for Russell Wilson big and didn't get it. And so I think it's like you got to get somebody. And so like they were like, who's the next guy on your list that you want to get? And they went and got him. So they and, were- I, and I'll tell you, and I'll add this along the same lines. Look, for two weeks the Colts sat there not knowing what their next move was going to be. Right. And I talked to some of those coaches, okay, and they were they weren't sleeping at night, okay. They were like, "What are we gonna do?" I mean, you know, our jobs are on the line, you know. And that was a, a tough situation. Now they felt a lot of relief when they got Matt Ryan, despite how that's turned out, and they felt like that was a great outcome. And and I have to agree, at the time, it looked great. Uh, you could can't predict the, pu- the future, right? But but I will say, I I also understand why Ron Rivera would take that approach to some extent and criticize the move. I think there's a lot of room to criticize it. It's a lot of compensation. But I also, you know, understand not wanting to be on the other side of the coin where the Colts were, which was, oh, my God, you know, they've we don't been, know what we're going to do. They've been there for a couple of years. Two more real quick on the defense, yeah. and then I want to get to Ursa, and then we'll wrap it up. So with the defense, you know, where are they at? Because look at you can look at the stats and see what it is. But where are they? You know, I, they, there is talent on that defense. They have some. They they still can be a very good D. So what's going on with them? I like the defense. They're playing well. Uh, they did not allow an offensive touchdown uh, against Tennessee uh, on Sunday, and you know that so Tennessee did score a, a defensive touchdown. So there's that. But uh, that that's that's been you know just the latest of a, a handful of really I think impressive games. I mean. Um, they did the best job against Patrick Mahomes of anybody, I think, this year. And it's just really frustrating him. He didn't play well, you know, in his and to their 
credit, I guess, for his defense. <laughs> he just had he had a bad game. The Chiefs had a bad game overall, et cetera. But uh, they really did frustrate him, and they did a really good job containing him too, which I, I think sometimes can be you know where where teams get in trouble against him. So uh, so they they had some some ups and downs at times. You know, Jacksonville in week two, I, I can't explain what happened there, <laughs> but uh, they have slowly but surely. Uh, definitely gotten on track. And, and I think their key guys are playing well. Uh, DeForest Buckner is really out on the defensive line. He's the guy to watch. He's having a great year against the run. Nose tackle Grover Stewart had a, just coming off of a 12 tackle performance at nose tackle against Derrick Henry and the Titans. So, I mean, that was just a really impressive day. And uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they get Quiddy Pay back at defensive end. He's been, I think, their best edge rusher. And they're trying to get Yannick Ngakwe going, uh, but he's he's in the fold as well. The other guy I would throw out there is uh, Stephon Gilmore, who has the fountain of youth, 32 yeah. years old. This guy's playing really well. And finally, this could be the debut, I anticipate it will be, uh, the debut of Shaquille Leonard at uh, middle linebacker. So that will be another element it's to watch difference. for on defense. It makes yeah. a big difference. Yeah. Um, last thing, Jim Irsay's comments, what would you make of him? About Dan Snyder, obviously. Didn't anticipate it. <laughs> and I after after he got done, I texted somebody uh in the the front office uh, who was who was also at the meetings. <laughs> Did you know this was coming? And I got an all caps, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I, I surprised at the moment, right? At at the moment that I saw the comments, I was surprised. However, in retrospect, not necessarily. But Jim Ursay has never been afraid to speak his mind. I think if you go back to recent history, uh, go back to the, the summer of 2020 and the, the racial unrest and and certainly the the social justice pro protests, he was outspoken then. Uh, when it came to things like vaccination and, and the Colts, in fact, being a team that, that were lagging vaccination rates, Jim Ursay stepped up and called a Zoom call with reporters and talked forcefully about the importance of vaccination and was, I mean, he went far further than anybody else I've, I've seen in the NFL, frankly. And so he has never been afraid to, to weigh in on sensitive topics. And and I, I give him credit for that because it's very easy for you know, a billionaire to just sit in their ivory tower and just say, all right, well, you know, just count my money, <laughs> you know? Uh, why why step in front of the firing squad? Why, you know, who needs that? But he has always been willing to do it for better or worse. And certainly, you know, the reporting uh, from from our uh, colleagues, you know, uh, who have written about the, the Washington franchise and, and Daniel Snyder perhaps having ammunition and dirt on his fellow owners. Well, frankly... <laughs> He doesn't care about that, Jamerson, because his has been out there. His demons are very, very public. He's got those skeletons, but his skeletons are not in the closet. Right. And he's not hiding from it. In fact, you know, he has taken his addiction issues, which are well documented. And to his credit, he's kind of spun it into something positive with the, the Kick the Stigma campaign, talking about mental health and and addiction treatment and, and things of that nature. And so has been very outspoken on that topic. So. Look, love the guy or hate the guy, you can't deny that he's not afraid to say what needs to be said. And I think if I had to pick one owner who would have 
gone there, I probably would have picked him. Last thing then, do you think he was representing do you I don't know, maybe you don't know this. Was he representing what other other owners were saying in the room? Or do you think he was just being a maverick here? It's I haven't been able to pin that down, <laughs> but but my instincts tell me that if he said that publicly to us, I can't imagine that he hasn't said something as forceful or more forceful in the room with his colleagues. It just it just seems unlikely to me, you know. And I and I I don't think that you know. Listen, I mean, Roger Goodell was asked about it, and you know, asked was he upset about it? He didn't seem to bother him, you know. Yeah. And so, frankly, I, I would be very surprised if he hasn't expressed similar sentiments. And you know, he just was willing to say it publicly. I think so, but we'll see. I mean, I, but 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 I, I would be very surprised if he has not expressed that privately as well. Stephen, I appreciate your time, and I look forward to seeing you on Sunday for the not the Wentz Ryan matchup. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, the big quarterback showdown coming up. <laughs> Looking forward to it. There you go. Thank you. You got it. That's it from that's it for this episode. Thanks to Stephen for joining me, and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back on Friday with my keys to the Commanders Colts game and. Prediction. I'll talk to you next time.